Welcome to episode 60 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined from the Vault Studio on the lovely campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my co-host, my good friend, my colleague, and the man who successfully navigated the black ice in his driveway this morning, John Scott Sloat. That was no small feat. <laughs> That's why I wanted to get it recorded yeah. for posterity. Yeah, sake. that was no small feat. It was it was quite slick yes. uh, this morning out there. Yes, indeed. But we survived. We yeah. triumphed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We uh, were the vic- victor here. Yeah, and, and you know, if if you as our listener did not, there's no shame in in falling on black ice. There's no shame yeah. in that. It's you know, slick. That's why is. we talk about it. It is. We had a uh, a former uh, secretary here who I think, if I remember right, like broke her wrist or fractured her wrist by slipping on some black ice here on campus years ago. So wow. uh, it's, it's dangerous out there. Watch your step, folks. Yeah, I always prided myself while I was a student here. It took me till I think my like second year of seminary before I fell on the ice walking across campus. And I always, I always found like a sense of pride, which I look back on and go, that was a silly thing to find pride in. <laughs> but um, I did at the time. Yes. Yeah. Can you believe we're at episode 60? Yeah. Where has the time gone? You know, we're not far away from our uh, our podcast being almost eligible for retirement benefits. Yeah. That's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get that government uh, that government subsidy just rolling right in. Then we got to start taking those uh, RMDs and all sorts of stuff. Yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so uh, if you want to connect with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at VNSPod. You can email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook, Various and Sundry Podcast. You can find our page, uh, share it, give us a like, uh, follow along, and even share episodes as we post them. And we are now available on YouTube. Yeah. Audio only at this point. Yeah. We, which, uh, is, which is my fault. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm far more inclined and willing, I should say, to yeah. broach into the video end of things. But the reality is the technical aspects uh, multiply exponentially when you bring video into this. Yeah. And the editing ends up, you know, going through the roof in terms of that. So um, short of us, uh, you know, finding some uh, willing grace student, perhaps. Uh, I'm not sure that we are going to be in a position to actually do video soon. Yeah, unless I mean, unless yeah, unless somebody out there wants some an internship, yeah. which I don't know that we can actually offer. Ah, who knows? But you, I mean, you're the director of the blended program, John. Throw your weight around a little bit. Well, you know, there's more weight of me than there was maybe two <laughs> or three years ago, um, but in, in more ways than one. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we do uh, – we have talked about doing some video content for the YouTube mm-hmm. uh, channel and um, you know, I, I'm, I feel like I'm slowly working on you to persuade you to maybe do a little video content that we could do a little – you know, some we, beh- behind the scenes kind of stuff here. We, we, did, we did a piece of video content last, last week. We did, yes. Are we ready to talk about oh, that? Sure, why not? So we did we did a bonus app where we took over uh, the Grace Story podcast, but there's I don't know I don't want to say slow, um, but their their production timeline is a little bit slower than ours. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, fair. I think that's fair. Yeah, um, so it won't be up till the end of 
March. And I think we've promised not to post that on our YouTube until until then. Correct. But we, we Correct. plan to. That's yes. bonus content. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, one thing that you could do if you go onto YouTube, you could subscribe. That would be a big help. We did get a new subscriber this so week. So it's exciting. And um, you could also uh, go on to the podcast app on your Apple device and leave a rating and a review. Or wherever you listen to podcasts. Correct. Stitcher, iHeart. You know, if you can leave a review, do so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know if you can do it on Amazon Music, but I know we're available there now. Well, yeah, we're on Amazon Music. It's all part of our master plan to take over the universe. That's right. That's right. One listening ear at a time. That's right. Slow but steady wins the race here. So. Well, as we are uh, recording this on a Monday, uh, February twenty second, it uh, you know we're we're in a window here where no more football. NBA is uh, moving closer to their All Star yeah. weekend, and uh, college basketball is starting to ramp up. We're just under three weeks away from the uh, Selection Sunday show, and uh, assuming that COVID doesn't blow things up. We are going to do a bracket challenge. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to that. That should be a lot of fun. Yes. And we uh, we were going to do that last year. Obviously, um, stupid COVID got in the way. So uh, I would like to uh, – we'll reiterate our uh, offer that the winner mm-hmm. of the bracket competition, uh, we will give them a signed copy of one of my books. Yeah, I'll sign it for them. <laughs> That's uh, right. It'll be it'll be wonderful. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So we'll uh, we'll we'll hook you up. We'll hook you up. Yeah, we'll, we'll get that set up. We'll have that ready to go for next week. That sound well, good? Yeah, we'll try. I mean, I, I assume that on whatever site we end up using, you can already begin like set up yeah, the, the competition. We'll have that ready to go. Yeah. All right. We'll put that on your to do list there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the NBA first. Have you? Uh, Seen any NBA this last week? Following your Knicks, Nick Knicks, I think we're one and two um, okay. in the last week. So, so pretty par for the course. They've been pretty uh, right, right around or just under five hundred for the season. So, um, yeah, but I, I still don't have cable. So, uh, uh, watching them uh, and watching really any NBA has mm-hmm. been has been difficult. But been been following some scores. Yeah, um, encouraged you beat the Timberwolves. So, okay, all right, major accomplishment. Yeah, I think uh, when we recorded last week, they had not announced the extent of Anthony Davis's uh, injury. And so now he's out, I think, another three or four weeks. They've termed it a calf strain, I think, of some kind. So they haven't specifically said it's Achilles. But they're in the, they're in the ballpark of yeah. Achilles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, – and it seems like the Lakers are struggling a little bit um, without him and uh, – I think a little surprising. Like the the Nets have been better than I expected. I think. Well, they just got they just went five and zero on a West Coast swing. Yeah, uh, and beat the Clippers last night. Was it? Yes. So yeah, they they seem to be coming together. The question I have though is, when they get to the playoffs and you can really dial in against one team, will they still be able to? Um, both score the way they are mm-hmm. and will they be good enough defensively to contain other teams? Yeah, and I think those are valid questions. Um, I think we've seen that Kevin Durant can certainly play enough defense to make it in the playoffs and he's such a matchup nightmare. Yep. 
Um, but I think it, it'll be interesting to see how James Harden particularly responds. Um, he made the back page in New York uh, this uh, last night. Doing what? Uh, he was just uh, out partying, or no, 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 no. It was about the game. So, oh. so it was him hitting a layup. Okay, um, and it was on one of the back pages, and you know, it it was like the West Coast swing centered around him okay. a little bit, which was interesting from a story perspective. Um, probably not to Kyrie's fancy, I imagine. And it's just hard to know what kind of how those egos are going to work. Like, oh yeah, right now they're sharing the ball, and I. I think KD is fine. He obviously played with the Warriors, so he was, he knows how to integrate himself with other high-level scorers. And so I'm I'm not worried about him. Kyrie, I think, has his own sort of off-the-court issues, motivation of whether he wants to play, some of those kinds of things. So, yeah. so sometimes I look at players and I go, I have a sense of what's going on in there. You know, like even even if I disagree with your lifestyle or what you're mm-hmm. doing. I can identify what's – Kyrie, I just have no idea what's happening. He's a, he's a, he's a unique dude. That's for sure. Um, I did want to point out a couple of noteworthy individual performances from this past week. Uh, Jamal Murray plays for the Nuggets. Yeah. Terrific player. Fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a game last Thursday, I think it was, where he scored 50 points, which in and of itself is not outrageous in terms of – you know. It's not like there's a 50-point game every night, but, you know, there's probably one every few weeks in the NBA. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, But what was unique about his 50-point night was the fact that he scored 50 points without attempting a single free throw, which has never happened in the NBA before. Wow. Think of all of the games played in NBA history. And, you know, I don't know how many 50-point games there have been, but – to score 50 and not attempt a single free throw is, is pretty remarkable. He was 8 for 10 from, from three, from, from three yeah. which is well, – And 21 for 25 overall. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. That's shooting 84 percent from the field. That's impressive. Yeah. I mean and, that's that's a B. In in our world, yeah, you know, yeah, I, I think that's an A in the that's NBA a, that's world. an A in his world. Yeah, if we yeah. adjust the curve up, mm-hmm. yeah, that's like my uh, experience in seminary taking a class from uh, Don Carson, and he had to adjust the curve. He had to put a curve on the quizzes he did, where if you got a sixteen out of twenty, an eighty percent, uh-huh. that was an A. <laughs> Tells you how hard the quizzes oh, were. Yeah. So, in any case, um, the other noteworthy individual performance was uh, Joel Embiid also scored fifty points. What was unique about his performance, though, is that he made just one three pointer. And in today's NBA, to That's score like, fifty points yeah, without doesn't happen. hitting multiple threes is is so rare. So, um, it's interesting. Uh, individual performances there. Joel Embiid, another interesting human. Yes. I have no idea what's going on in that head. No clue. No clue. You ever seen him eat a cheeseburger? No. <laughs> it's it's something it's <laughs> something wild. Why would I have seen him eat a cheeseburger? He's Is that something eating, on social media or something? He's always eating a cheeseburger. <laughs> okay. He's get, you know, he's getting his calf massage, whatever dude's eating a cheeseburger. <laughs> okay. That seemed like the most random question. Um I'm going to hear about that one. Probably. Yeah. Uh, College basketball. Um, Things ramping up for the tournament. Uh, The game of biggest interest to me yesterday was uh, Ohio State 
losing a tough one to that team up north, mm-hmm. 92-87. But good game. Uh, yes. If you did not have a rooting interest, it, it w- would have been arguably the most or one of the most entertaining college basketball games all season. Hmm. High level play, um, you know, shot making, just really good up and down basketball. Potential final four preview there. Potentially. And um, so uh, Michigan came into the to the game ranked third. Ohio State came in ranked fourth and um, both projected as one seeds. Sure. And every bracketologist I've seen has basically said, even though Ohio State lost that game, they're still a one seed. Like yeah. when you lose to another one seed in a close high-level competitive game, it's like, well, you're still a one seed. Like you may not be the best one seed or you may not – you might still might be the fourth best one seed, but you're still a one seed. So we'll see. Ohio State's got some stuff coming down the road and they can end up playing – rematching in the Big Ten tournament and uh, who knows, even in the NCAA tournament. Nice. We'll see. Uh, it's also spring training days for baseball. It's yeah, it's been uh, it's been fun to see the guys get out there and throw the ball around a little bit. Yeah, any breaking news from Mets camp this past week, John? Uh, yeah, we signed Taiwan Walker um, to a uh, to a two year deal uh, worth I can't remember how many millions, but uh, but yeah, he's going to wear the number ninety nine in, in camp and, and pitch for us. Also, Tim Tebow retired from baseball. <laughs> and I, I know that was a crushing <laughs> blow for you. I mean the the. The series of uh, weepy emojis that you sent me was very moving yeah. after hearing of that. So. Well, most people find emojis just very moving uh, generally. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Yeah. So. He was – I think he was the oldest person. He would have been the – I think the second oldest on the Mets active roster. So those who were in, in the majors last year. He would have been yeah. the second oldest and he never made a major legal period. It was time to go. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Well, I, I hope you'll be able to to move forward with mm-hmm. your uh, with your week with that sad news in the in the rearview mirror. You know, so. I'm coping. Uh, sleep has been difficult, but uh, okay. but we'll we'll mush on. Yes. Um, speaking of which, we will mush on to our main topic for the day. Yeah. Good word, mush. Yeah. Yeah. So we are. Um, last week we did an episode on. Um, Baptism. Yeah. And uh, so this week we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. So talking about the two ordinances within the Protestant tradition and – And two pretty hotly debated things within sure. the Protestant tradition as well as well as uh, the Catholic tradition yeah. and, and uh, others as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, just as a reminder from last week, I think it's helpful to distinguish – uh, from the Protestant tradition, we refer to these as ordinances versus in the Roman Catholic tradition, they are sacraments and the mm-hmm. Roman Catholic tradition has uh, several more beyond baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, the key difference being that in the Catholic tradition, grace is sort of seen as this – almost like this material substance that you get mm-hmm. by – uh, participating in the sacraments. So if you in fact get you know, cut off from the church or excommunicated from the church, you are cutting yourself off from the means of grace well, in the Catholic tradition. And so I've been and, – and maybe this will just kick things off for us sort of I've, – I've been rereading my church history book uh, in preparation for teaching uh, starting in – goodness, middle of March here. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, and one of the things that that struck me in preparation and thinking about this episode was there were seasons uh, in the Catholic Church where a emperor uh, would uh, do something that the pope didn't like, and the pope would withhold communion from him, and until this this emperor came begging and groveling yeah. to the pope to to receive communion and ask forgiveness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the that uh, that view brings with it a whole set of entailments that uh, are fascinating both on the political level as well as the ecclesiological level. Oh, but yeah. that is not our topic for the day. <laughs> <laughs> so, so John, um, why don't you just try to give a – maybe give us a brief summary of – again, we're, we're, we're envisioning you're talking with someone in a foreign culture who has no familiarity with Christianity. And um, they say, what is this communion or what is this Lord's Supper thing that Christians do? Sure. Uh, I'd probably describe it as sort of, sort of um, a reenactment of uh, what Jesus did with his disciples, uh, breaking bread and, and drinking wine to remind us uh, of what he uh, has done on the cross for us. Um, Probably at the time when he did it with the disciples, it was it was looking forward. <laughs> yep. But for us, it, it's looking back and reminding of, of Christ's body on the cross uh, and Christ's blood that was spilt. Um, and so we we take bread uh, and we uh, drink most most of the time in America grape juice, but although some traditions say drink wine still. Yeah. Um, and some churches give you the option. Some churches do give you the option. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but as a way of remembering what is happening, there's no uh, spiritual significance, I would say, in the midst of those elements. But uh, but as a way of uh, remembering, yeah. So let's talk. Uh, give a brief summary of uh, kind of the main views on this within uh, the Christian tradition, I guess, more broadly. Um, you want to take the first one there? Or? Sure, okay. sure. Uh, so the way it. I would say the, the oldest one. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, maybe let, let's put it this way. This was the dominant view in the Catholic Church at the time of the Reformation and is still – this. Uh, my understanding is it's still the official view of the Catholic Church. That's my understanding, although I think it's not talked about quite as much. Yeah, because I, I, I don't know – I'd be hesitant to call it the oldest because – I'm sure the reformers went back into Augustine and the church fathers and were sure. like, you can't find this view here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let, let's, I, think that, I think that's a good way of putting it. The, the dominant Catholic view at the time of the Reformation um, was something that uh, we've come to call transubstantiation, mm-hmm. which is a big word. Yeah. Um, and the idea there is that the elements, the, 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 the bread and the wine act, literally become uh, the body and blood. Uh, of Jesus, yeah, yeah. Once the once the priest pronounces the proper wording of blessing on those elements, they are. Mm-hmm. There's no symbolism. There's no. It's that is the actual physical body of Jesus. That's the bread that you see, but it's the physical body of Jesus, and that's the actual blood. They are transformed, transformed into transubstantiation. That. There you go. Um, and, and the reformers had a great deal of problems uh, yes. with this. And it also explains, by the way, that uh, why in the Catholic tradition, which 
I'm not up on it currently, but I know for, for in many parts of the Catholic tradition, um, the the common person is not allowed to actually drink the cup. Hmm. They're only allowed to partake of the bread because of the fear of defiling uh, the blood of Christ. Interesting. But, um, in any case uh, – yeah, well, Luther spoke out against this. Uh, Wycliffe, I think, was also put to death for his uh, for his. Well, not put to death; he died a natural death. But I, he, they dug up his body and burned the bones and all sorts of stuff. It was it was very dramatic. What level of spite must you yeah, have? Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but I, I think Wycliffe had a great deal to say about transubstantiation as well. Um, the, yeah, the the reformers were not fans of, of transubstantiation. They were not. So that leads us to uh, maybe the second view, which sort of was the the next. You could almost see a progression here. Uh, this was Luther's view, um, consubstantiation, and the view there is that Christ is present in and around and with the elements in a real way. Mm-hmm. But the elements don't get transformed into uh, the actual body and blood of Jesus. Yeah. So that was Luther's view. And still the Lutheran's view. That is my understanding, yes. Although we are not Lutheran. We are not. So. Though I probably have more background. I, I mean I have some Lutheran heritage in my background. So. Yeah, this is uh, – the Midwest is a bit of a Lutheran hub. Uh, yeah. I know Fort Wayne, Indiana, a lot of Lutherans. Yes, Yep, and Northwest Ohio, where I grew up, also uh, very uh, predominant, well, predominantly heavy Lutheran influence, mm-hmm. to be sure. Uh, then you have the third view, which we'll call the spiritual presence view, which is uh, a little more common among Reformed, non-Lutheran Reformed people. Okay, so here you've got Christ is spiritually present in a special way as the elements are uh, used and, and experienced by the, by the believer. I, I think I'm least familiar with this view. Yeah, it, it's a subtle difference I think in some ways from the memorial or the symbolic view where just the elements represent the body and blood of Jesus and there's no heightened uh, presence of Jesus mm-hmm. in the elements where the spiritual view – says that there is – as I understand it, there is some heightened experience of Christ's presence there. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is – that's just more to set the table, I think, I think so to speak, <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to the different views out there. Set the table. I like yes. what you did there. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily interested in, in hashing out the differences. More so, I am uh, eager to – Maybe talk about some key biblical texts and then get into some of the um, theological significance and even just some practical implications from this. So, uh, so John, what are some some key biblical texts for dealing with uh, the Lord's Supper? Or probably should mention some uh, traditions refer to it as communion mm-hmm. or the Eucharist, which that tends to be more of a term associated with Catholic practice, but it's a, it's a good word. I mean, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Some some key text, uh, definitely uh, from the Gospels, uh, where we see uh, Jesus uh, breaking uh, breaking the bread and giving the wine. 
Um, I, I think the one I think of the most is is First Corinthians eleven. Yeah, um, where uh, where Paul is giving instruction on how uh, to give and take communion. Yeah, that's by far the most um, explicit discussion of it. You know, as you mentioned in the gospel accounts, you've got. Uh, the description of Jesus celebrating what's come to be known as the Last Supper. Mm-hmm. But uh, we have to keep in mind that was a Passover meal. Yes. And so um, the the Last Supper, which is the first celebration of the Lord's Supper or communion, mm-hmm. in one sense was uh, – you could argue was the last Passover meal before – um, sort of the, the turn of the redemptive ages mm-hmm. to, takes place there. So um, therefore, I think we have to understand the uh, the practice of the Lord's Supper against the backdrop of Passover. So so John, remind us what what was Passover celebrating? Yeah, Passover Passover looked back to the Exodus, right? When uh, uh, God was uh, going to take away the birth of all – or take the firstborn away uh, from all of the Egyptians, kill the firstborn. Um, however, the Hebrews could uh, save themselves by uh, putting uh, the blood of a, of a lamb uh, on their doorpost and, and uh, in a sense be covered by the blood of this lamb. Yep. Uh, and they would be passed over. Their house would not uh, have their firstborn killed. Yeah, and as part of that, they also ate a meal. Mm-hmm. That involved uh, the killing of the lamb uh, and uh, eating unleavened bread. Mm-hmm. And all of that uh, symbolism was intended to uh, to remind the Israelites for generations to come about their deliverance from uh, not just the Egyptians, but as you mentioned, of, of, of God's wrath, of his yeah. righteous wrath and being rescued by the blood of the lamb provided. And when Jesus celebrates that Passover meal, all of that symbolism and significance is present. But when Jesus celebrates it, he makes it clear to, clear to his disciples that there's something new happening here because he, as the fulfillment of the Passover lamb, is about to make the ultimate sacrifice mm-hmm. for his people so that they can experience the ultimate exodus out of their bondage to sin, death, and the devil. And be covered by the final blood of the lamb. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so um, that's what's depicted in the gospel accounts. And in fact, in Luke's account, uh, you have Jesus even explicitly saying, this is the blood of the new covenant to pick up imagery from the Old Testament of that promised new covenant in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel and even in Isaiah as well. So Hard to be more explicit than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> And even what's – one striking thing about about this is that when you look at the description of the early church after Pentecost, so you have the day of Pentecost, you have the outpouring of the Spirit, uh, 3,000 are saved. Mm-hmm. And there's a little paragraph at the end of that chapter, Acts 2, that describes what the common life of believers was and included in there is the idea of the breaking of bread. Mm-hmm. And I think that probably includes the celebration of the Lord's Supper within that. Um, but in any case, it seems like from the very beginning, uh, from the earliest evidence we have of, of the church, that this was a key part of their worship. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it certainly seems to be and has passed down through church history as one of the important elements uh, that regularly happens uh, yeah. in the church. Absolutely. And I, I want to uh, – I do want us to get into some more, for lack of a better term, maybe some practical considerations. But I, I wanted to talk at least briefly about the theological significance. Like what does the Bible itself show us that the – that the meal represents, even if you don't take a symbolic view of it, even these other views still recognize there is a symbolic um, uh, aspect to mm -hmm. this celebration. So I figured it'd be good for us to talk about that. You already mentioned sort of the it's a remembering of mm -hmm. the death and I would even say the resurrection at some level of Jesus. Um, you know his the, the the bread representing his uh, his body broken for us, mm -hmm. um, and his blood shed for us for our sins for our forgiveness. But to be honest, there was an element of of the Lord's Supper that I missed for so many years. And so, um, reading more carefully through First Corinthians eleven, and you read through the instructions that Paul gives in the face of some abuses that were taking place in the church at Corinth. They were doing it wrong, <laughs> very wrong. And so Paul's trying to correct that. And one of the interesting things that he says in the context of that is that when you celebrate the Lord's Supper, that you do this um, in remembrance of him until he comes, hmm. that there's a future element. That there's a looking forward. There's a looking forward. So often we get wrapped up in the looking back, which of sure. course is yeah. essential. Which is a uh, uh, claim he says we need to we need yeah. to take seriously. We need yeah. to be looking back. To be, yeah, it is intended as a remembrance to be sure. But it's not just a past looking event. It is a forward looking mm. event to his return. And when you tie that in with the fact that one of the pictures that we are given of the consummation is the wedding supper of the lamb, oh, it seems like that, that part of that forward pointing element is an anticipation of mm. that great feast at the end of human history. And that's not the only place. I mean, Revelation 19 talks about it, but even in the gospels, Jesus pictures the consummation as a great banquet feast yeah. that's being held, that people will come and, and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom. And so I think it's an anticipation of that greater reality of the full wedding feast that we will one day celebrate with the Lord. Yeah. A good theology of food there, Matt. Yeah, good absolutely. Good theology of food. Yeah. So those are some of the, I think, the pieces of the of the theological significance. Let's let's talk some nuts and bolts here. Okay. Does it have to be real wine, John? Well, I mean, if we're going to take the Bible literally, Matt, <laughs> uh, then then maybe no. I I <laughs> that that is one of my favorite things to say to my uh, my friends that that don't drink alcohol but want to take the Bible very literally. Is like, well, what about what about wine? Yeah, you know, you want to take the Bible literally. Anyway. Um, no, I, I don't think so. I think you can address all of your critical comments <laughs> to. No, I won't give. I, we'll send, send them to the email address. Yeah, yeah, that comes to my phone. Truthfully, yeah. um, or you could you could Google my name on Grace's website. My email address, or just up. add them at Twitter. Yeah, on Twitter, you could, you could yeah. do that too, or Facebook. I, yeah, doesn't matter. Um, 
but uh, but no, I don't, I don't think so. Okay. Um, I don't know if I have a better reason than, you know, I think I've grown up with uh, Welch's being sort of the primary uh, – <laughs> Uh, communion juice. Indeed. But. Indeed. I, I think there's flexibility for practice yeah. <laughs> there. I do. It needs to be the fruit of the vine. I think that's that. That's the key point. Even a sugary fruit of the vine. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. But but you would so so if I could. I, I know we're goofing around a little bit, but so I once heard of a pastor saying, "My goodness, let's take communion here on the beach. Let me. Pour, I got some some Coca Cola here. I've got some potato chips." <laughs> Let's uh, let's break this and uh, and take communion here. Yeah, whatever whatever that was, <laughs> it was not the Lord's Supper. Okay, so so there is, there is some parameters around it. It's yes. not just any liquid whatsoever. Correct. I think it has to be. I, I do think it has to be bread. Okay. And I do think it has to be some uh, product of the vine. Okay. In view there, yes. So and uh, here's where I'll make known. Uh, this is a. A, a fun anecdote uh, from our own experience at our church. Are you familiar with the advent of the Harmon Hunk? Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> okay, I've heard this story. I, I, I think I think we need to tell our listeners. Yes, yeah, go so, ahead. Uh, this is obviously pre-COVID days, but um, when when we were celebrating the Lord's Supper in our church, uh, it, it felt like the 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 pieces of bread were getting increasingly smaller. Like almost to the point where you're like, wow, this is barely recognizable as bread kind of thing. And so uh, my wife and I were having a um, – just a, a pleasant conversation with one of our deacons. And we just sort of tried to whimsically say, hey, what's the deal with this? You know, like <laughs> do and, – and so we said to him like our, – our, are we, is there a budget issue? Like, tell us where we need to designate the funds if we need to get a bigger hunk of bread to uh, for for, com, for communion here. And um, he laughed and, and and explained some of why that was happening. And he said, "But you know what? I, I think we can. I think we can do better." And so uh, from that point forward, he referred to it as the Harmon hunk. And when they were breaking up the bread. For the pieces. Had to be a certain size. He actually created a sample Harmon hunk and showed it <laughs> to the people who were cutting up the bread for communion and said, this is the Harmon hunk. This is the prototype that you have to follow. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I'm all about church reform, John. And yeah. I'm all, of, all about, you know, making a difference in the local church. And I'm sure that day in church history will live on forever yeah. As, yeah. as we got a proper amount of Christ, uh, Christ's body. Yeah, Absolutely. Moment. Absolutely. So on a more serious note, John, who should take communion? Well, this is – it's a debated topic. Yes, it is. Um, and I wonder if we agree about this. I don't know. Um, so I would probably be in the camp of uh, believers take communion. Um, uh, now, I know that the other side of the argument is baptized believers take communion. OK. But I, w- I would – I think I would argue for believers take communion. OK. Not for any particular reason other than that's what I've always <laughs> done and experienced. Okay. Um, I think I was in a church for a time that it was uh, a more closed communion. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I think my general argument would be – and not even an argument. My general belief probably would be uh, without any sort of rationale or backup uh, would be believers take communion. Okay. Are, okay. You, are you on the baptized uh, – that's where my sympathies lie. Okay. 
I I don't have a uh, I'm not a f- a staunch uh, believer in that position. Um, I think that's my preference because I think there's a there's a logical relationship between baptism and communion. In other words, I think baptism as the uh, as the ordinance that is the entry point mm-hmm. into not just the Christian life but also the body of Christ. Um, I would say then that that should be a a condition for then participating in the Lord's Supper. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm sure not all of our listeners will, will necessarily agree with that. Um, I, I do think though uh, that one thing that I see sometimes that's a little concerning is uh, sometimes I think parents are not always as – discerning about not permitting their children to take communion. I think um, it's it's one of those things where I want to say half-jokingly, it's not a snack. <laughs> You're giving me an eye like I did something. I don't have any children, Matt. <laughs> you don't. You don't. <laughs> but um, I do think that there should be at least a clear profession of faith. Sure. Um, Absolutely, and I think that's part of where baptism comes in as a de- Pub- as a definitive sure. marker of of that. Um, so I think that's uh, I think that's Im- important as well. Um, we've got a few other things here, but we need to probably uh, start landing the plane on this. Um, I, I I feel like we are uh, morally obligated. To mention the distinctive practice of the Fellowship of Grace Brethren Churches, which yeah, Grace so. College and Theological Seminary is a part of, mm-hmm. um, yeah, describe that their unique practice in this area. Yeah, yeah. So when they refer to the Lord's Supper or Communion, uh, they would say that there's there's uh, three things that really need to be done for for it to be considered communion or the lord's supper. Yeah, hence they call it the threefold, threefold communion. Threefold communion. Yeah. yeah, the the bread and the cup is one of them. Yep. Um uh, uh foot washing uh, would be another. Yep. Uh, and then they get together and uh celebrate they they have a love feast is what they call it, but but they a they, full they, meal. A full meal, not not just the bread and the cup. They yeah. they have a they have a full uh uh uh, buffet style. Uh, lots of them do buffet style sure. bio meals, and it's yeah. You know, I've I've been to a couple. Okay, they're quite delicious. Um, yeah, yeah. You know. I, I have participated in a couple myself. Um, I I will stop short of saying I think that is a mandated practice within Scripture, mm-hmm. but I will say I think it's uh, absolutely permissible and might even be good and wise in many respects. I do think that the there's very clear evidence even for First Corinthians eleven. That uh, when the early Christians practiced communion, they did it as part of a larger meal, not just as a as the bread and cup. So, uh, yeah. So that's an interesting uh, practice from within our heritage here. Uh, anything else on this on on the subject of, of communion you wanted to to bring up before we maybe give a couple of quick re- recommended resources. I don't think so. Why don't, we, why don't we hit the resources? Okay, let's do it. So uh, just two I've got listed here. Uh, there's a, a Four Views book on the Lord's Supper edited by John Armstrong that we'll link to. 
Uh, and then uh, Tom Schreiner and Matthew Crawford are the editors of a book called The Lord's Supper, Remembering and Proclaiming Christ Until He Comes. I think both of those are, are, are well worth And we'll link those in the show notes. Out. And uh, just by way of reminder, uh, when we link a book, uh, if you p- decide you want to purchase that book, please go through that link. Uh, we do get a small percentage of that, uh, and it helps pay for uh, for uh, things that the pod cost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. All right. Are we ready for our athletes? I think so, yeah. Okay. So let's talk uh, athlete episode 60. And uh, how do you want to do this? Uh, I'm looking at some of the names, and I'm already – horrified of trying to pronounce some of them. So maybe... (laughs) You want me to take that? Yeah, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. I'll do it. Yep. So as we get to to number 60, we're we're still in a window where there's not a ton of options. There's slim pickings. Yes. Uh, Chuck Bednarik was a linebacker for the Eagles in uh, most of the 50s from 1949 to 1962. He might be best known, though, because uh, there's a major college football award for the best defensive player hmm. that has his name. So the Bednarik Award is given to uh, the best defensive player. linebacker and line- center. Yeah. Well, it was back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Two-way player. Uh, next is Otto Graham, a quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. Not many quarterbacks were in 60. No, no. That was certainly before – in the days before there was a lot more um, uh, structure as to what numbers can be worn uh, by position in the NFL. Yeah, but Otto Graham, legendary yes. quarterback. legendary quarterback, was a member of the 75th anniversary uh, uh, all, all NFL mm-hmm. team. So a legend for the Browns, won numerous uh, championships for them. And, uh, and I think it's – uh, this I'm going to struggle over. Jose, I think it's Teodor. I think he's a goalie uh, from oh. in the NHL, but I don't remember much about him besides the fact that apparently he wore, he wore 60. 60. Yeah. yeah. And then our OSU athlete is uh, a man named Charles or Chuck. I, th- I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly either. Kasuri or Sisuri, C-S-U-R-I. That was the one that scared me the most. He was a a tackle in the early 40s. More actually notably, he received a bronze star from fighting in the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. Nice. Okay. Who you got? I think there's only one option that I see. I think it's autogram. I agree. Okay. I agree. Let's go with autogram it is. So we are on to one thing you liked. All right. Well, my one thing this week is uh, as I'm preparing to teach church history next session, uh, I'm reading through uh, uh, Bruce Shelley's Church History in Plain Language. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just reminded of how excellent a book that is. It readable, is fantastic. Readable, tells stories of church. It doesn't cover everything, but it's a, it's a great introduction to church history. Yep. And uh, I'll link it in the show notes. And if I could – if someone asked me, Doc, I can read one book on church history, I'd probably point them there. It's mm-hmm. it's not a short book, but it's well written. I mean, it's probably what? Is it 400 pages? It's 500. Is it really? Okay. Yeah. But it's so well written, so engaging that it's it's worth it's worth it. I have every student or every year I have students who come to me and just go, uh, oh, 500 pages 
prof, what are you doing to us? And then they come back to me at the end and they're like, this was really engaging and readable. Yeah. Yeah. Very well done. So for me, uh, actually, I'm going to start with a um, a disclaimer from my last week's recommendation. Last week, I recommended a book uh, that told – an audio book that told the story of um, – this man who became a double agent to catch a Russian oh, yeah. how to catch a Russian spy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had started at that point, was a decent ways in. And um, when I made the recommendation last week, I think there might have been, you know, by that point where I was at, maybe like one or two examples of some profanity. Let me just warn you, listener, it's pretty that, intense. that um, as you continue <laughs> forward, there is a significant ratcheting up of profanity. Hmm. So I want to th- – there's some content there that you certainly don't want to pop that <laughs> you've got kids in the car or if you're especially sensitive to strong profanity. Matt Harmon recommending R-rated material. Yes, yes. But my actual one thing I liked this week was um, we had a visit from Zach in Ohio. Yeah. He was on campus uh, talking with uh, students about the internship program that he that they have at, at his church there in Ohio, and we had the privilege of interviewing him for the uh, hostile, not so hostile takeover of the Grace Story podcast that will get posted in March. The encouraged takeover. Yeah, yeah. yeah the requested. Yeah, requested. And and um, Zach's, Zach's a great interview. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. And uh, we also got lunch with him mm-hmm. that day. You, me, and uh, Brent, our, our, uh, our campus our dean of chapel, Brent. And then at the end of the day, he swung by our house so we could feed him. So it was fun. Old to, times. Yes, yes. It was great to to catch up with him. So that was my one thing I liked. So today we've talked some NBA, some college basketball. We've lamented the retirement of Tim Tebow. End of an era. We've talked the Lord's Supper. We've regaled you with tales of the Harmon Hunk Mm. and my attempts to reform the church single-handedly through size of communion bread. We have discussed Otto Graham. I don't know about discussed, but we've mentioned him. We we named him. Yes, we've (laughs) named him. Uh, We have talked church history in plain language, and we've talked... Um, about our our not so hostile takeover of another podcast, yeah. and a disclaimer in there as well. Yes, yes. So I think by definition, uh, we've covered our various and sundry topics. Are you ready to call mission accomplished? I am. Okay. So I think all that leaves is for us to say, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.